sing that chorus together just a little bit. Janet, you back us up. Lord, I believe in you. I'll always believe in you. Though I can't see
first line say the Lord bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you be gracious to you the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace amen amen that is our blessing over you. Come on up, Boone. I don't even need to do your theme song, Boomer. Father God, as Boomer comes up, you've been whispering in his ear what you want us to hear, what we need to hear from you, God, because we want 2023 to be a year where we can hear your voice more clearly than we can step out of the way and let you live your life through us, Lord. So right now, God, begin that process in this new year in all of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. How are you this morning? All right, now wake up. It's a new year. Come on, folks. You up late watching the little night? I went to bed. Did it? We're in 2023, right? Like it, the ball drop thing, right? It worked? Okay, good. Okay, good. Good. All right, well, now that we're on the same page, good morning, Rimrock. Thank you. Very good. Uh, I want to welcome uh, our kids. This is family worship uh, this morning. So if we've got kids, I see a few kids in here today. Uh, and so welcome to them. And uh, we've got a... Um, special sheet just for our kids this morning. So if you didn't get one of those, would you raise your hand right where you're sitting? And one of our ushers who's already seated and nicely comfortable will get up and hand you one. But if you need one, there's a couple over here that need them. Uh, we just want to help our kids to engage. Thank you, Ben. Anybody else? Anybody else need a kid's sheet this morning? All right, very good. Adults, you can raise your hand if you want. Let's see how fast uh, Pastor Ben can move around. That'll be awesome. Uh, guys, today, uh, even though we're into the new year, we're finishing uh, our Advent series. And so we've been looking at uh, the light uh, that uh, has overcome the darkness, God's glory that embodied uh, Jesus Christ and allows us now to see God, to know God, and to be changed by him. And so we're going to kind of just wrap up that whole uh, series this morning. And I'm excited because we're in the book of John chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to John chapter 1. And uh, I've, uh, I've given the title to this uh, message this morning, Happy Camper. And it's going to become very apparent very quickly why that's the case. But if you would, join with me uh, and follow along as I read John chapter 1, starting in verse 9. I'm using the New International Version this morning. This is what God's Word says. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. You know, when I was uh, growing up, my family, or more specifically my parents, uh, made the decision that many of our vacations would have to do with camping. And so, you know, if I had a, a better memory, I'm sure that I could tell wonderful stories about adventures in the woods and amazing encounters with poisonous plants and uh, funny situations that happened off-grid. But other than a few uh, retold stories, um, I'm left really with only impressions of my history with camping, and my impression is that I don't like it. <clears throat> uh, one of those stories that we tell over and over and over again, and so I do happen to remember it, happened just two weeks after Angie and I were married. That was a long time ago, but I remember it. That's how it's PSTD, a PTSD. It's one of the, it's something that has stuck in my very bad memory. So uh, two weeks after we were married, my, my, uh, my family, my mom and my dad and my younger brother were all going to family camp. And so it's just an opportunity for a whole bunch of people to be kind of miserable all at the same time. And to it was great. Uh, and so my mom invited us, and I hadn't yet learned to say no. And so, uh, so we went. And, um, and, we, we, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, well, we don't really own a tent. But my, my beautiful bride, it's like two weeks in. And I, we're developing trust. And, uh, and she says, I have a tent. I have a tent. It'll be perfect. She said, it's, gonna, it's plenty big enough because my brothers and I used to use it when we all went camping and we'd all stay in it together. Great. We got the tent. We get to family camp. We pitched the tent four feet from my parents' tent. And we get in for a well-deserved great night's sleep on the ground. Now, I've become convinced that the tent testing facilities are all staffed by Oompa Loompas because I'm not tall. But as I got into the tent, I noticed that I didn't fit. And then, then after I got in, I noticed, or I, I, I got the Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story. Are, are you ready for it? Oh, no, no. Angie and her brothers all stayed in that tent together when they were nine. We fit great when we were nine. So I got to sleep that whole weekend with my feet kind of hanging out the door 
which created a really nice, like, all-you-could-eat buffet for the Illinois mosquitoes. It was quite a long weekend, right? And it becomes a story that we laugh about, but it also has uh, helped with my impression that I'm not a happy camper. In fact, I don't really even understand what that phrase means, happy camper. I don't get that. I've never experienced it. Advent is one of those times, or Advent is all about looking forward to Christ coming, his incarnation, the invisible God becoming man and walking among us, showing us the Father and then making a way for us to be with the Father forever. And this morning, out of our text, I want to really focus in on verse 14. Verse 14, if you look at it, it says, the word, that's Jesus, right? Uh, John makes that clear as, as chapter 1 even begins, that he's talking about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I told Pastor Ben, thank you so much for giving me this text, right? Because this verse has got such a cool word in it. The word that we translate made his dwelling is actually one word in Greek, and it's skinao. And that word is so cool because literally it means, literally it means to, uh, to settle or to take up residence or pitch your tent. See how it's all coming together? Yeah. Right? I have a visual. Only for the kids, though. Nobody else gets to enjoy the visual. All right? But that word is so cool. And when John wrote um, his letter, right, he chose that word very, very carefully. Because as he, um, as he wrote the letter and as he was sending it to um, the, the Christians, what he wanted was for them, when they read that word, Skenao, when they read that word, he wanted them to be transported, reminded of other places in the Old Testament, in their Bible, that it, it would stir a memory for them. That same, uh, the root word of Skenao, that same root word is the word that we translate in the Old Testament as tabernacle. Okay? And so when when his readers are reading and they hear the word or they read the word skenao, they automatically they're going to be like, okay, wait, I know that word. And it takes them all the way back to the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but in the book of Exodus, chapter 29, verse 45, here's what it says. God says, God's speaking, he's giving the instructions to have the tabernacle built. And he says, then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. And I am the Lord their God. So that word in John chapter 1 should prompt us to think about um, where else do we see um, that idea of tabernacle? And so really this morning, I want to do something a little different. And I, basically, I want to take us on a journey to explore where do we see that word or where do we see that idea of tabernacle um, all through Scripture. And so uh, even though we see now 
um, this word and the root, um, we see it show up in the book of Exodus. I don't want to start in the book of Exodus. Because the whole idea of the tabernacle and the whole design of the tabernacle was to remind God's people, really, of the Garden of Eden. So we're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Now this morning, uh, all through our sermon, as you see up on the screen, um, we've got these images, these icons, and they're just, hopefully they're pictures that will help connect the idea, the big idea of what we're talking about as we go through this journey. I'm really blessed that my daughter-in-law, Zoe Roland, uh, worked on those this week and um, prepared those pictures. And uh, I love the way that it kind of sums up the idea of each step along our journey. So thank you, Zoe, for that. So we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and if you look in, in Genesis 1 and 2, of course, is the creation account, and in this region called Eden, God plants a garden, and in the center of that garden, God plants a tree that he calls the tree of life. And Adam and Eve are placed in the garden and they're said, and, and they're told you can eat from any of the plants, including the tree of life, right? You can eat from any of the plants, including the tree of life. There's only one tree that's off limits and that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and we know that story that Adam and Eve are, they're tempted and they, they choose to define right and wrong on their own. And so they take that fruit, they, they, they take from the tree um, that God had already said would bring death. But look at what happens before that. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, and it says, Then God, uh, no, then man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That is such a cool picture for us. God's created this place this, in the region of uh, Eden. He's planted this garden in the middle of the garden is the tree of life. And the, that garden is the place where God comes and gets to be with people. In essence, it's where heaven and earth overlap. And it's where what God has created to be physical overlaps with the spiritual and God meets his creation there. God meets people and they walk together and they have a relationship and they enjoy each other's company and life is really good until Adam and Eve decide to define right and wrong on their own. And sin enters the picture, and the relationship between um, God and man is broken, and Adam and Eve are uh, removed from the garden. Look at um, just in chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. It says, So the Lord God banished him, Adam and Eve, from the garden to work the ground from which he had been ta taken. And after he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. 
So in that one decision where mankind decides we're, we're going to decide, we're going to define what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. In that one decision, God had warned, if you eat from that tree, it'll bring death. And so now they're removed from the garden to live outside, and they're cut off from their source of life. They can't get to the tree of life anymore. And so from that day, they begin the process of dying. And they're cut off from God. They're cut off from God. They're cut off from life. And yet we see God still has a desire to have a relationship with man. In fact, even in the midst of the curse that God speaks, God is saying there's a plan to fix this relationship. There's a plan to get back into uh, community and relationship. And my plan starts even right now. And so here's God now wanting to be with mankind. If we fast forward in the story, if we fast forward in the story now, um, all the way to now, um, we're, we're past Abraham and, and Abraham's um, um, kids, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, and then they all end up down in Egypt, and they're down there for 430 years, and then... Here's what happens, right? God sends a delivery. He brings his people out. And as they come across and through the Red Sea, they, they, they take a, a pit stop. They camp out at Mount Sinai. And it's there at Mount Sinai that God gives to Moses the law, but also the instructions for this thing called a tabernacle. This thing, it, it, was a, it was a portable tent. It was a portable worship arena is what it was. And so very specific instructions about how it was to be constructed and what it was to be made of and how it was to be decorated and what was to be placed inside of it and which direction was the door to face. Lots of detail. And so they set to building the tabernacle but the whole point of the tabernacle was that it gave God a way to dwell with his people. To dwell with his people. Now there were three different tabernacles in Israel's history, but the wilderness tabernacle that they used for the longest period of time, the wilderness tabernacle, was placed right in the center of the camp. The Israelites were nomads. They, were, they, they, would, they lived in tents. They set up their tents, and when it was time to move, they would move to the next place, and they would set up their tents. And God gave them the instructions that the, the tabernacle was to be in the center of the camp. Now, again, John's readers understand all of the history, right? This is their Bible, and they understood all the history. And so all of these images would come to mind for them. So I'm going to explain those to you so that you have them in your mind. But, I, but the tabernacle was to stir up these thoughts of Eden and the garden. And so when you think about the tabernacle in the middle of the camp, think about 
the camp being the region of Eden. And now you've got the tabernacle in the center. And in the middle, inside the courtyard, inside the courtyard, you've got the tabernacle itself. And inside the tabernacle were two rooms. And one of those rooms was called the most holy place. And that's actually where God's presence resided. And the high priest got to go in there one time a year. And the occasion was to make atonement, to cover over the people's sins for a year. One time, and only the high priest. Think tree of life. And so now you've got this whole picture as, as uh, John is using this word, and it's stirring up all of these images of the tabernacle and look, look at some of the uh, ways that the tabernacle is described and what God says about it. Exodus 25, 22 says, um, he's talking about the Ark of the Covenant that's in the most holy place. And this is what God says, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Covenant law, I will meet with Moses, or I'll meet with you, but he's talking to Moses and I'll give you all of my commands for the Israelites. Look in Exodus 29, 42. For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance of the tent of meeting. That's another way that they describe the tabernacle. So your burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. And there I will meet with you and I will speak with you. And there also I'll meet with the Israelites and, I'll, and the place will be consecrated um, by my glory. God's going to dwell there. And I love this right at the end of the book of Exodus, chapter 40, starting in verse 34. Look at what how God describes, here's what's going to happen. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses could not enter into the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And in all of the travels of the Israelites, whether, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, then they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the cloud lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire and fire was in the cloud by night, and in the sight of all the Israelites during all of their travels. I want you to catch that image. All of the tents of the Israelites are arranged around the tabernacle. And over the tabernacle is this cloud, a visual reminder of God's presence in the midst of his people. And even at night, there's fire in that cloud. So like, there's this ginormous nightlight in the middle of the camp. And it was year after year after year after year after year that God's presence was visual and in the midst of his people, God desires to be with us, to dwell with us, to be among us. 
Well, we fast forward another chunk of time, 480 years later after um, the Israelites come out of uh, Egypt, 480 years later, Solomon builds the temple. Now, lots, of, lots has happened, but they've conquered the, the promised land and they've set up Jerusalem as their capital city. And, and David, Solomon's dad, King David has this strong desire to build the temple and God says, that's not for you, that's gonna be for your son Solomon. But David designs it, he plans it, he talks to Solomon about it, he's like, ooh, 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 I'm so excited, I'm so excited that you get to do this, right? God's still living in a tent and David is living in a, a palace. And David recognizes like, that's not right. And so Solomon gets the job of building the temple. And that's described in 1 Kings chapter 6. But then this is what I want you to see in 1 Kings chapter 8. This is what King Solomon is, is uh, worshiping God, talking to God, like thinking through this whole thing. Like, and this is what he asks, and it's such a great question. But will God really dwell on earth? Like Solomon's thinking, okay, God, you're... And how are you going to fit in this, you're everywhere, and yet we're going to build you a house? Like, how is that going to work? The heavens and even the highest heaven cannot contain you, God. How much less this temple that I have built? Yet, uh, yet give attention to your servant's prayers and his plea for mercy. Lord, my God, hear the cry and the prayer of your servant uh, that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple day and night. Um, this place, now catch this, this place which you said my name shall be there. God has given a blessing to building this temple and God, um, God moves in David and gives the instruction to David as to how it's to be built. And here, um, now here Solomon is, uh, has fulfilled the job and he's inviting God in. And he's like, I don't understand because you're everywhere and nothing can contain you. And yet you have said that your presence is going to be in this place. And the temple design mirrored or matched the tabernacle design and that was to remind us of Eden and what was Eden do you remember it was the overlap of heaven and earth it was the place where God came to meet and to be with and to dwell with his people and the tabernacle is a reminder of that and now the temple is a reminder of that and this is the place now where heaven and earth overlaps. It's the place where people went to worship God, but also to make atonement for their sin. It's a place where not only did they meet with God, but they found life because their sins were removed. It's just this beautiful picture that all through history, God wants to dwell with his people. 
You can fast forward more, and now Jesus has come on the scene. He's begun his ministry, and there are three different times that we find Jesus goes to the temple. Um, there are three different occasions where um, Jesus teaches at the temple a lot. But here is, here is Jesus in the temple, and he begins to make these statements that indicate that he is the new temple. Not everybody liked that message. John chapter 2, in verse 19, it says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, they, the religious leaders that were engaged in this uh, debate with Jesus, and they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? And then John does this little parenthetical like this, right? This is what he says. He's like, but the temple that Jesus spoke about was his body. Here's Jesus making this connection. He's saying, heaven and earth overlaps, not in this building, but where? In me. Jesus was in a unique position where heaven and earth could overlap in him. When he was incarnated, heaven came and put on a body. God came and put on a body, and he walked among us. And everywhere that Jesus went, people found just a little bit of heaven. There was healing, there was forgiveness, there was peace, there was wholeness. Everywhere that Jesus went, there was a little bit of heaven. And we see that overlap of heaven and earth in the person of Jesus Christ. God dwelled with us, but he did it personally. Not in a building, in a person. And yet as Jesus time on earth his mission on earth was coming to an end jesus is talking to his disciples he's preparing them that something's going to change i'm not going to be with you always and this is what jesus says and he promises he says surely i am with you always to the very end of the age in john 14 he says i will not leave you as orphans i will come to you and now listen Jesus makes those promises and then just flip the pages a little bit and all of a sudden now he's ascended. Do you remember that picture? The disciples are with Jesus and Jesus is like, whoop, there he goes, up into the clouds like they can't see him anymore. Do you remember that? Do you remember that scene? And the disciples are standing there like looking. And then this angel shows up. He's like, dude, I think they're stuck. They need some help. Moving on to the next thing. Hold on. And they're standing there, and an angel shows up. It says, dude, he's going to be back. He's coming back. But you've got other stuff to do. This is where you need to go next. So how is Jesus going to keep his promise? 
How's he going to keep his promise? He says, I'm, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you until the very end of the age. But how, how is he going to keep that promise? Well, Jesus gives a little foreshadowing of it in John chapter 16. Look on the screen. It says, but uh, very truly I tell you, Jesus talking to his disciples, very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The advocate. Also, also called the encourager or the helper or the counselor. We, we know him as the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, if I go away, then it opens the door for me to send my spirit. And listen, when Jesus deposits his spirit in, into his followers, and in doing that, listen now, in doing that, he takes that whole dwells among us thing to a whole different level. It's not a building. It's not even a person with skin on. Now, God's spirit dwells where? In his people, in his followers, in those who believe. We now are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul describes it this way. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Paul says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? We now are the temple. And we're not alone in that. It's not, like, we're not alone in that. Uh, uh, all together, we are now called a temple, the church, the body of Christ. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household, built on the foundation of, of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and raises to become a holy temple in the Lord. We're not individuals. But as a group together, we're the church, we're the body of Christ. We become this temple. I love the picture that Zoe uh, drew here. It's like we get the, the idea of the temple, but, but it's not. We're, we're, we're pieces put together. And God has put us together and poured his spirit into us. And together we become something different. First Peter chapter 2, um, Peter says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. We are where God's presence resides. We are God's representation to a lost world. We are a royal priesthood. But we aren't the main show. 
we aren't the most important part. I love Paul's warning because, you know, I, I admit sometimes, like, sometimes I feel like, man, I got something that other people don't have. That's kind of cool. It makes me kind of neat. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't make me neat. It makes me a receiver of something that's been planted in me. Look at the way Paul says it. He says in 2 Corinthians, he says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Just in case you're wondering, in verse 7, we're the jars of clay. Those things are fragile. They're ugly. Right? And we have a great treasure that's been deposited in us. But the jar is not the important part. That's not the treasure. It's God's spirit and the truth of the gospel that God's revealed to us. That's the light that lives in us and has been put into us. And so now we become the vessel that carries the treasure to a lost and a dying world, a, a world that doesn't have hope, a world that's looking for the answers to how do I make life work? You know, a couple weeks ago in his message, Pastor Ben was talking about uh, a pastor that he met in Mexico, Pastor Chewy. And um, when Ben was visiting him, just Pastor Chewy's just one of these guys that just overflows um, uh, joy um, because he's in this relationship with Jesus. He just overflows joy, and he's, he's pastoring this church, and Ben mentioned that there was a lady who lived in the neighborhood, and every Sunday on her way to market, she would go past the doors of the church, and she would always look in, and she would notice, and she would say, I wonder why those people are so happy. Because in her life, she was angry, she was bitter, like things were not good, and she would shuffle past and go to market day after, I mean, week after week after week after week. She would go by, and every Sunday she would look into the church and she would ask herself the question, I wonder why they're so happy, and then go on to market. Ben said that there, there came one week when she stopped and she asked a different question. Why are those people so happy? And then she asked the question, well, why don't I go in and find out? And when Ben met this lady, she was overflowing with joy. Even when she was in a, a, a situation or even when she was in a place where it, it, the worship wasn't exactly what she wanted or life didn't hand her exactly what... Uh, what she would hope for, and yet she overflowed with joy. And I love, I, I wrote this down when I was listening to the message because Ben ended with the question. He asked the lady, why are you so happy? And he kind of ended the story right there. And I'm like, wait, what, what'd she say? Like, don't say it in Spanish, Ben, because I don't understand that. Tell, tell me in English. What, what did, what what was the answer? 
But today, we get the answer. She overflowed with joy because of the treasure that was put into her clay jar. It was just the glory of God that was coming out of her because her life had changed. She had the treasure of the Holy Spirit inside of her. The light that God had deposited in her, she was shining to a dark world around her. Well, now we come full circle, and at the end of time, at the end of history, God will remake Eden. He will recreate the overlap of heaven and earth. And it won't just be a segment of it, but God describes that all of it will be in his presence and everything, nothing will be outside of a relationship with him. And, and so just a little sneak peek to the series that's starting next week. Let's look at Revelation chapter 21. And here's what it says. John, the apostle, writing, and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And verse 3, look, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is among is now among the people and he will dwell with them they will be his people and god himself will be with them and be their god he will wipe away every tear from their eye there will be no more death there will be no more mourning or crying or pain for the old things have passed away now folks that is Advent. We look forward to that day. But in the meantime, between this day and that day, we have a mission to shine our light brightly, to serve like our Savior, to live out the gospel in our home and in our neighborhood and in our workplace so that we point others to Jesus in the hopes that they will be filled with a treasure as well. We look forward to that day. Running all through history, we see God with us. God deeply desires to have a relationship with his people. And in a room this size and with a group this size, there are some here this morning who do not have a relationship with Jesus. And I want you to hear that these aren't my words. The God of the universe has desired from the very first day to have a relationship with you, specifically. He created you. He knows you. 
and he wants relationship with you. He's paid the price and removed the hurdles so that you can now respond and come into relationship with him. And so maybe this is the day for you to say yes to that, to him. Maybe it's the day. And if it is, I want to invite you to, to come and to talk to somebody up here. Pa- Pastor Ben will be here. Maybe I, this is, maybe some of our elders will be here. I'll be here. Just come and let us introduce you to who Jesus is. For those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, it's so good for us to remember that all through history, God has demonstrated and created a way for, us to, for, to, for him to dwell with us and us to be able to reconnect with him. And I love that Jesus gave his disciples a really physical reminder of the relationship. So this morning we're going to celebrate communion together. And Jesus says, these are two physical elements that will remind you that I remove the hurdles. I remove the hurdles to having a relationship. And so our our ushers and men are going to pass the elements out. I ask that you take those as they come um, and hold them. And we'll enjoy doing that together as the body of Christ, as the temple. Light of the world, you step down into Open my eyes, let me see Beauty that made this heart adore you Hope of a life spent with you So here I am to worship Here I am to bow here I am to say that you're my God. You're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together wonderful to me. King of all days, oh so high. You're my God, 
So Jesus gave his disciples bread and said, when you eat this bread, remember my body that's broken for you. God incarnate removing hurdles that allow us to come to him. Let's remember the body. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, when you drink the cup, remember my blood that is spilled for you that covers our sin, removes our sin, washes it away. Let's remember the blood. God bless you guys. Come join us. We're starting Wednesday nights again. This coming Wednesday. So lots of great things to do and to study. So here I Together, worthy, all together, wonderful to me. 